keep thinking of how I want to start this and not sounding ridiculous, but I'm just going to go for it. Okay, I have an interesting life. As a morning news anchor, I am getting ready for work at 1.30 in the morning. And for some reason, that's when my brain decides it's going to start firing off ideas. And I get a lot of ideas for this podcast when I'm waking up, having my coffee, getting ready, letting the dog out. When people, my neighbors in particular, are wondering, what is this guy doing? Why does he get awake at this time? They start to suspect things. I'm kidding. But this episode's one of those experimental ideas that I had. I know my mom, my stepdad, John, watch TV all of the time. We talk on the phone about what they think of the latest Better Call Saul episode or Ozark on Netflix. So I was just thinking, I wonder if it would be good if they told me what it was like when they were kids growing up watching TV and the experience watching TV when they were kids compared to now. And then my audience will either relate to it or not, but overall find it somewhat fascinating. And I think you will find some things rather strange, different, and altogether just foreign to us now. So here we go. My mom and my stepdad, I'm going to call this episode The TV That Made Us. Where's my music cue? Oh, there it is. I want to know what it was like watching TV when you guys grew up and then compare it to today because it seems like you guys watch a lot of TV. You like to binge watch the TV shows, which I'm sure was something when you were growing up you never thought you'd be able to do like you're doing right now. You know, I, there wasn't the term binge watching, though. That, that wasn't a thing. Uh, actually, if anything, you were allowed only so much TV and then you were told to go outside and play. So I, I remember that. And it wasn't like you could get TV on demand either. You know, you had shows at certain times that you watched with your family. Note, I said, with your family. So those were the times that we came in from outside or whether it was before supper or whether it was on a Sunday night when we visited our grandparents. Mm -hmm. So that, that didn't uh, overpopulate itself as far as our TV watching. I don't know about you, John. Well, certainly we had a very limited selection of, of programs to watch. Um, I grew up in Detroit, and by the way, James, you talked about being in the 60s. Well, I can go back into the 50s. And in the well, 50s you said in it. In, in the 50s in Detroit, we had the three major networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC. Plus, because we lived right across from Canada, we got Canadian uh, Broadcast Network there. And that's really interesting, so we too. we thought that we were really thrilled and, and fortunate to have four choices. Yeah, you you'd had that that additional Canadian broadcasting to enjoy there. What what was what was Canadian television like in the '60s, John? Pretty bland, but you got a lot of hockey. <laughs> well, <laughs> that hasn't changed. No, but it was just an option, and you know we thought it was a little bit unique. But again, you, we had three channels or four channels. Today, what do we have? thousands of channels well yeah you can binge wash you you can you can delay things you can go online and get so much and it, it's just so overwhelming from what we had back then and lynn you talked about watching programs with your family you set up a certain time if there was a program that as a family you watched on thursday evening 
at eight o'clock, you were all there. It was called a, appointment <laughs> television. And you, I think that's lost today, isn't it? Yes. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. yeah. Yeah. You don't, you, I mean, and I, the networks played it up too because they knew you were going to be hooked to that program, so they had you locked in at that point. In okay, time. great. Let's start here. Give me, give me an example of something that you you remember the day you watched it. And you remember you who you watched it with. Go ahead. John, you want to go first? Uh, go ahead. All right. Uh, I said watching on Sunday evenings at my grandparents. We watched Bonanza. Mm. And that was interestingly when you found when you you know Googled Bonanza, um, there was Bonanza was actually the second longest running Western, uh, only second to Gunsmoke in U.S. network a television. That's network right. History. <clears throat> Over four hundred yeah. episodes. Yeah, and they and four, and it was packed into thirty one. I have the number 431. 431. Yeah, well, I've got numbers for you too. I mean, the uh, they had 33 episodes a season. A typical uh, season back then was 24 to 26 weeks. Yes, yes. And uh, don't you recall that during the summer when it was more light outside, uh, you didn't go inside and watch TV in the evenings. You were out playing. So maybe that's when they were doing reruns, I would suppose. But yeah, Bonanza is my show and that was an NBC show. Uh, we talk about the major networks because it's interesting that I didn't even know this when I picked my three shows, James, who asked us to, to I did. pick three shows. Yep. I have I have one from each of the networks. That was, I didn't even know That's that. interesting. This is, that is interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. It is interesting. And we lived um, near uh, Reading, Pennsylvania, which was about 100 miles exactly from Philadelphia. Our our networks, we would get Philadelphia networks because mm -hmm. we didn't have local, the local market um, that many uh, many people enjoy today. So when we turned on the TV to Channel Six, that was NBC and that was Philadelphia. Well, let me let me tell you a little something else about Bonanza. So I looked it yes. up and and it initially yes. ran on Saturday nights. It was moved to Sundays. Yeah. And then it yes. then it got huge. Um, it was yes. pulling a thirty one rating in the 1965 television season. And it, it was number one rated for four years. And mm -hmm. a 31 rating essentially means about a third of all televisions that night were turned on to okay. Bonanza. Okay, I want to tell you- That's a my, monster, monster rating, even in 1965. Right. That's, an, that's an unbelievable number. And, but again, that, that speaks to you only had three, four choices. Uh, if you're John, you had the fourth, which was Canadian. Well, well. It be that Bonanza also was that you said ran Sunday evenings and it became huge. Do you know what preceded it? The wonderful world of Disney. So Disney's we were glued. World of color. The wonderful world of color. We were glued to that TV. We watched Disney, and right after that, Bonanza. Bonanza went a little bit later in the evening than my parents would have wanted me to stay up, but you know we watched it. So that's my first show. Yeah, I think we've I think we're a little bonanza out. So John, why don't you give us one of your shows? Well, you you know, you talked about the wonderful world of color. That was the first program that I ever saw in color. And what was that experience like for a, you? We didn't have a color TV, so we went next door because they were the rich folks in the in the neighborhood. They had a color TV and they allowed us to come over on Sunday night. We'd watch Disney's Wonderful World of Color. Then we'd watch Bonanza in color, then we'd go home. Okay, well, let me let me throw this at you. You were able to see 
you uh, the movie theaters were the first places to go to see something in color. Am I right? Sure. Okay. Sure. What was that? Do you remember the first time you saw something in in color? Do you remember what that would have been if it was a movie or a show? I'm sure well, it was. I'm sure it was a bizarre experience to bring it into your home. Probably after years and years of yeah. watching black and white. I don't remember black and white in the movie theaters at all. I remember color in the movie theaters, but I'm much younger than John, so you know maybe that explains the difference. I, okay. did, did you did you want to chip in there and say something, John? Uh, I'll just let that fly by. I can remember going to the movie theater and seeing Jules Verne, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. That was an early one. Now, whether that was the first one I saw, I don't know, but that one's kind of embedded in my mind. Yeah, and it might, but seeing um, the first show in color in someone's home, that must have been a really memorable experience for you. Probably something oh, was, really stuck with you. It was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. And I'm not, and I'm, just, I'm, I feel we, like we I'm talking. I feel like I'm talking to you guys like you're 80 years old. You're not. You're not. You just yeah. lived through. You know, this is just where we were. That when you when you turn that turn that decade into the 60s, things really started happening with television. Sure. Well, I mean, I we were in elementary school. We were fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade, maybe for you, John, yeah. senior. No, just kidding. Uh -huh. um, yeah, we weren't babies. Oh, but please we continue. Your age adults. jokes are age jokes are just killing tonight. They're doing great. I was just going to add. I kind of grew up on TV because my parents, my dad especially, liked gadgets, and they were only married about six months, and they bought a black and white TV in 1948, and that was unheard of. They they had all kinds of neighbors and friends coming over. Sure. Uh, they couldn't have afforded it back then, but they bought a TV. You know what's interesting is I was thinking about like the size of televisions. I was talking to my dad about this one. And how big do you think that TV was? Well, the TV screen was, I think, a five or six inch screen. Yeah. So I can remember, I can, here's, here's a fact for you. I watched the Beatles in 1963 on that TV when the first Ed Sullivan show. So I remember our TV growing up in our living room couldn't have been more than 30 inches. I think it was about 30 That's inches. That was pretty big. At that, at that time. time, it was that big. Was really big. <clears throat> this TV behind me that has off the set on it, this one, right here that you're looking at, this one, yeah. that that's that's bigger than thirty inches. That that oh, TV. There's no question. That's probably a fifty or a fifty-five. It's a forty, um, forty-two, I guess. Whatever. It's just interesting. Like, and you, and how far back away from that television do you think you guys sat with a five or six-inch screen? Well, you were only about two feet oh. away because you had to be able oh, to see. Yeah. Remember, you had a very low resolution. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was another issue. That was another issue. Sitting too close to the TV, we got yelled at. Mm -hmm. we, told, we, we were told to move back. Well, you didn't want to because you had a small screen. Yeah, but we grew up with that 30-inch TV in the living room, Mom, and it, and we sat back pretty far, and it didn't really bother us. Sure. We we were fine. But now, you know, you have a 55, 65, I have a 75 inch downstairs. And, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm sitting too far away from it, even though, you know, growing up, yeah. it would have been, yeah, you know, it's three times the size of the one I had growing up. I don't know. It's just, I just find that interesting. John, that's a really good story about your parents having that TV first and you guys were, became the party house because of your rocking six inch black and white TV. <laughs> well, you know, TV signed off at about 10 or 11 o'clock at night, and then they would broadcast a test pattern so you could adjust your TVs. 
Ah, yeah. And it would pick back up at about six o'clock in the morning or seven o'clock in the morning. But overnight, they would send out a test pattern so you could, because the TVs had all kinds of vacuum tubes in it and all kinds of adjustments, and things had to be manually set. Wow, it sounds like a blast. Uh, what what did you have to adjust on there? What were you were you, just you talking like the well, resolution, vertical, vertical, horizontal resolution of verticals resolution the alignment I, there were several things plus now uh, you know i don't want to get too technical but tvs had all kinds of vacuum tubes in it and there were drug stores where they had tube testers in there and you took the tubes out of your television and you would go test the tubes and if one was a little bit weak you could buy a tube at the drugstore to replace it mom do you remember any of this did you ever go to the tube testers no, no, I did not go to a tube tester. That's interesting. I mean, you know, yeah. your, pop, your pop pop would take care of that. He, you know, he was he figured out a way to fix it. I don't know if he went to the drugstore to get a tube, or if he went down to his workshop pliers and moved something around. But he, he would fix it. I imagine if there was, if it ever had a problem, I'm sure it got a a nice uh, right hand to the side of it. <laughs> I imagine that's how oh, pop pop fixed a couple of things. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah, he, he had no problem hitting the side of objects <laughs> to get them to work. We, uh, I did ask for a, a list of shows, and you guys were good about them. You both gave me a local show, and I was able to look up information on both of those. Uh, Mom, your local show that you grew up watching, and I also want to ask you why it was influential to you. You, you brought up Sally Star. I did. Now, yes. Sally Star was a TV host out of Philadelphia. And she actually yeah. just, she passed away just a couple of years ago, 2013. She was 90 years yes. old. Yes, yes, um, she did. This was actually a, a Philly station, uh, then WFIL, now WPVI. It was uh, an ABC station. Mm -hmm. She had an noon program. Of, it was a kid's program. It was known as Popeye Theater. And on Popeye Theater, you watch Popeye cartoons, Three Stooges, Larry, mm -hmm. Moe, and Curly. And Sally Starr was like the host. So after the cartoons, she would come back on. And she was known for her flashy cowgirl outfits. Now, I have to tell you that that was one of the things I wanted to be when I grew up, a cowgirl. And that's why it was influential to me. She, she had horses. She had four horses during the course of her show. And a lot of times she'd make uh, appearances uh, with the horses and with her, I don't want to say sidekick, but like a co-star, Chief Halftown. And I remember at the Ephrata Hospital Garden Party, my my mother, your Nana, took me to see Sally Starr and Chief Halftown. And Sally Starr had her horse. And of course she had a beautiful cowgirl outfit with fringes and rhinestones. She always wore a cow a cowboy cowgirl hat with a big star on it that was her trademark and she called all the kids buckaroos she called them buckaroos yeah, that's cute i just thought she was fantastic she had a long blonde ponytail and uh, and and always had her nails done but it was the cowgirl outfits the cowgirl outfits that just caught your eye so um, yes, I was enamored by her. There was, like I said, an and you said one of one of her sidekicks' name was uh, Chief Halftown. Chief Halftown, yes, mm -hmm. Chief Halftown. He was. It was actually an uh, an American Indian. Yeah, I'm looking him and, up now. His name was was yeah. Trainer Halftown. That was his name. Yeah, yeah. I was because yeah. I was just gonna say I don't know if that would have flown today if that was like a character of an American Indian, but he actually that was actually his name. 
Yeah, but he, but he, that I was used in a lot of programs. Excuse me, that was used in a lot of programs. The Indian caricatures were all yeah. over the place. But he oh, wasn't. Yeah. He didn't appear. He wasn't a, a point of teasing or anything like that. That you would. He. It, this was truly. You know, we. It, in when I remember watching the show, we had a lot of respect for that. You know, oh my gosh, he was an Indian. He's an Indian. Oh my goodness, because yeah. you know we're watching Cowboys and mm -hmm. Indians. So I, I saw him on two occasions. I saw him at the Raja Theater in, in Reading one time too, uh, Chief Halftown. So and you have a I you mean, have a story you have a story stars. about that, don't you? Well, yes, I do. He he made an appearance, <laughs> and unfortunately, his fly yeah. was down. You know, kid. You know, <laughs> of course, as a kid, you know, you're not eyeball to eyeball. So obviously, it was quite noticeable. <laughs> Chief well, Halftown that's that's, that's unfortunate. But anyway, it's it's a good in. It, his presence on the show, obviously, a good influence for you, and you know it. it oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely, that's cute. All right, so yeah. so, so Sally, the Sally Star Show. How about it? We that's that probably doesn't yeah. get mentioned too much anymore, but it ran quite a while too, Mom. It looks like it was on for, um, well, nineteen fifties to nineteen. Yeah, that's a long time. Local yeah. show, John. You had a local show that I certainly had never heard of before. Well, it's called the Johnny Ginger Show. And he, uh, what? on the, the what? kids' show, the Johnny Ginger show. Well, it was Sally Starr, Johnny Ginger, come on. All right. And he played a stagehand <laughs> behind the scenes, and he was kind of downtrodden and overlooked. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he, he got played the sympathy angle with not a comedy act, but a lounge act. And he, he played in lounges in the Detroit area, and he had, I guess, risque adult, uh, uh program that he would put on at the lounges so he went from playing at that at night to trying to attract the kids to his daytime show and in, in the during the daytime yeah it's kind of funny years and years later bob saget would do something really similar bob saget was the star of full house which was a huge show in the early 90s and he was sure. this super squeaky clean dad on this really cheesy family show and in the meantime, at the, at the same time, he was touring the country as a comedian, and he was a very um, dirty comedian, um, notoriously dirty. So, you know, he had this whole second persona, I guess, that he, he had on the, on, the, on the road, which is interesting. I wonder, you know, you, you mentioned Johnny Ginger had, had kind of done the same thing. I wonder if that flies today, you know, if, with social media and, and, you know, everything else going along, because people didn't realize... The, the, his full house audience had no idea that he was this adult comedian, you know, with, well, I mean, a comedian with a lot of adult content. So I don't know if that, I, I, it's interesting a network took a shot, at least in 1990 with him and did that. Johnny Ginger back then, maybe it was, maybe it was totally different too. I don't know. Well, it's a, it's a very good question. It's a tough one to answer, but it's certainly a very good question how that would be perceived if, if they knew, if more people knew about that. Yeah, that's interesting. So the Johnny Ginger Show. And then, Mom, I'll go back to you. You brought up a couple. I'm just surprised you guys, the, the shows you picked, they're not the ones I, I thought. But then, you know, I'm looking at, like, the top-rated shows, like ratings, like viewership-wise. And you guys certainly picked all the ones in the top the top tier for the for the whole decade. Well, when you said different shows, can you tell us some of the shows you thought we'd say based on your research or no? Well, I said shows growing up, and I I didn't immediately gun to the '60s. I I wasn't sure what you were going to say, so I was thinking, okay, what shows would my parents be watching? And I was thinking, well, they'll probably say All in the Family. They'll probably say maybe Sanford and Son, um, maybe Mash. 
Um, mm, you know, no, I was I was thinking no. maybe the Andy Griffith show, Bewitched, uh, Dick mm-hmm. Van Dyke show. These are things I watched on TV Land myself growing up. You know, um, sure. and I, I didn't get any of that from you. Instead, I well, go ahead. Well, because you, uh, I my, my one of my criteria was you know what we were we influenced. Yeah, we watched Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, we watched Bewitched. I really liked it. But as far as a kid being influenced. Here was another show. I had this. Please tell me how this next what? show influenced you. I'm, I'm dying to know. I'll tell you why. Because I had a love of horses growing up. Uh-huh. And I already told you I wanted to be a cowgirl. And I was infatuated with cowgirls. And I was also a lover of horses. John, do you, do you so, know the show? Yeah. Do you know which show she's going to say? I don't. We well, didn't share each other's lists. No, we, no, we did not share each other's lists. And this was a show, you know, a not-to-miss show. We watched it every week. Mr. Ed, the talking horse, ran sure. from 1958 to 1966. And this is what was on the CBS uh, network uh, starring uh, Alan Young, who lived to age 96 uh, as Wilbur Post. And Mr. Ed was a talking horse. And I don't know if you have a sound bite on the shows, um, which I want to say the theme song. I have it, but I, it might not come clear audio-wise uh, that they played at the beginning of the show. Hello, I'm Mr. Ed. A horse is a horse, of course, of course, and no one can talk to a horse, of course. That is, of course, unless the horse is the famous Mr. Ed. Go right to the source and ask the horse. He'll give you the answer that you endorse. He's always on a steady course. Talk to Mr. Ed. Oh, that's, definitely a, that's definitely a chart topper there. There's some night, yeah. real good work on the lyrics. If you're a kid and you like horses, I know this was it. And so the horse didn't talk. It talked to one person, and it was the, you know the, the star of the show, mm-hmm. Alan Young, as Wilbur Post. When and the horse lit. It was Wilbur's ho, uh, Wilbur's horse. The horse was in a barn. And, and you know it's funny. I watched one of the episodes today, mm-hmm. and you're talking about TVs in the 1960s. It was so funny because this TV, this show, uh, the episode of Mr. Ed, was one where Wilbur wants a second TV in the house for their bedroom. Now, this is unheard of. You did not have a second TV in your house. All right. And she doesn't know how to ask him for a second TV set because she knows he's going to say no because, you know, he said, you always had to ask your husband permission. Um, and uh, so that well, was the, that hadn't changed. Yeah, that was the premise of the show. <laughs> and Mr. Ed is is supposed to be in this case right. uh, many times counsels Wilbur, tells him what to say, tells him what to do. Mr. Ed is all-knowing. And I also watched... uh, What are we we going for here? Like, is he... So he hears the horse talk. Nobody else ever does. Right. Nobody else does. And the horse is funny. The horse is smart and funny and witty. And when the horse talks, it's his mouth moves. So, you know, there's kind of... You think, well, how do they do that with a horse? Do they put peanut butter in his mouth? That's what I was going to say. So I do have an interesting little tidbit of trivia. This comes from... um, Okay. This comes from WideOpenPets.com. They're talking about uh, secrets you didn't know about Mr. Ed the Talking Horse. And yes, you were right. They They put peanut butter in the horse's mouth to get him to move his lips. And then they would dub it over in the show. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Never knew that. So yeah. Okay. The kid. Now, as a it would kid, work similar. Did... It would work very similarly with with other animals too, <laughs> because oh, if you ever gosh. give a dog peanut butter, it would 
you'd get the same effect. Well, you would have the talking Dusty. Yes, you would. Dusty, of course, of course, of course. And as a kid, you don't, you don't think about well, how they're making the horse talk. No. It's just a show about a Right, right, right. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a, that, that's, a, that's a very good one. You know, if you look at it, James, you know everything that I've done. I have a lot of themes. Mm -hmm. And so I have horses and cowgirls, Bonanza, Mr. Ed, mm -hmm. Sally Starr. I mean, where, where do you think I was as a kid? My head was thinking about becoming a cowgirl and riding a I horse. I see it. It's great. So that, all right. John, you have another show that uh, right around the same era. Well, you're talking about uh, with the puppet? How do you I do sure that? am. Well, that's a little <laughs> earlier because, again, I'm talking about at a younger age. I'm talking about, you know, six and eight years old, nine years old. I'm watching. Well, tell us about Howdy, tell yeah. us about howdy Doody. Well, Howdy Doody was a, a puppet, you know, with strings and moved his arms and everything. He was dressed in a cowboy style. Oh, you guys with your but, cowboy stuff today. This is interesting. These but, yeah, he, he had Captain Bob with him, and Captain Bob was, the two of them were, were buddies. And uh, Howdy Doody was, you know, very smart, and he just helped us know how to grow up right the right things to say and the right things to do and to be polite and to listen to your parents sure. and not talk back and not try to boss. Uh, Lynn never watched it, I guess. <laughs> Salazar told me those things. <laughs> listen, listen, the, uh, so how old are you when you're watching Howdy Doody? And did you think that, were you young enough to think the puppet was real and actually, you know, talked and stuff? Or did you see, did you well, see through that? Maybe, maybe very early on. But no, you, you knew it wasn't real, but yet you, you listened to it. Because it, it, it kind of appeared real because of the way it talked and the way it, it made sense and everything. And Captain Bob interacting with him. And, you know, they had a clown on there too called Clarabelle. Now, Clarabelle was played and Clarabelle never talked. He just honked a, uh, a horn. Uh -huh. Clarabelle was Bob Keeshan. Bob Keeshan became Captain Kangaroo. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So that was your spinoff from Howdy Doody. Yeah. yeah. Nice one. Yeah. Way to bring that one around. And that was, and that was influential yeah. to you. Why? And this is an, well, an, an after-school show, right? It was just a nice show to watch, and I, I think, you know, it set a nice tone. Now, the uh, the last one on my list was a little bit different. Go ahead. Well, the last one, moving into lunch with Soupy Sales. And we used to come home for lunch from school back then. Or if I was in, you know, kindergarten, it was a half a day. And lunch with Soupy, Soupy was... The Three Stooges and Abbott and Costello and I don't know, a few others all rolled into one. He was irreverent. He was slapstick. He, he made stupid comments. He made you laugh. And then he topped it all off because they were always getting pies in the face. Sure. And that's where that, that's really where a lot, lot where a lot of that slapstick came from, right? It kind of originated with Soupy yeah, Sales, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, you know, he just, he just made you feel good. You, you had lunch with Soupy. And I can remember sitting in front of the TV having lunch with Soupy. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I, hey, look, I didn't, I had no idea you even went home for lunch when you were in school. So that, you know, that's interesting to me yeah. for some reason. I don't know why, but you, you went home and you watched Soupy Sales. Absolutely. And I did that for probably, oh, I don't know, four or five years, maybe a little bit longer. All right. And it was just fun because it was slapstick humor and it was fun. All right. I, wanted to, I wanted to head for home and just kind of compare and contrast and talk a little bit about what your experiences were like watching TV then and now to come all the way to 2020. 
you know, moving forward 50 years, 60 years or so, you know, what your, what your thoughts are. I mean, is TV really better now in your opinion? Obviously, we've had incredible advances in the way TV is produced, the way it's distributed. But would you go as far to say that it, it absolutely 100% TV is better now than when you were watching as a kid or when you're watching as a kid and you're impressionable and the way you ingest content then, nothing ever tops it? Because I start to lean towards that a little bit personally. I think that I brought this up when I had Sean Daly on a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about you know, why I didn't like the new Star Wars movies as much. You know, we were kind of talking about that. And I said, it's not necessarily that they were worse movies. I just, I was, a, you know, I was a different person when I was 12 years old when I first watched Star Wars and I loved it. And that there was nothing that I think they could have produced or done that would have had the same effect on me because of how I was when I saw it for the first time and how it blew my mind. So, I don't know. Was t- is, TV, you know I- is, is TV really better now? That's the question. Go ahead, John. You can take this one. Well, I think it's better in the sense that, number one, the technology is amazing. Sure. So the picture quality that we get and the sound quality that we get and, and the all the different mediums that we can watch it on. I mean, we can be walking down the street, driving in a car, and we can be watching this. This omnipresent is just amazing. And is it better? Well, you've got tons of junk out there, but you got to sort through it. But I guess it's like turning a four-year-old kid over in, into a candy store that's you're just overwhelmed. You don't know where to start sometimes. Good point. And that's why help, having advice and feedback and input from others like yourself and friends and others, like, what have you watched? What did you like? Why did you like it? Because you don't know where to begin anymore. Strong point. What do you miss most about what TV was like when you were growing up? I don't think I'd want to go back to that time per se, except that we weren't glued to the TV set. You've got so much you can do today, not only with sports, but entertainment and news and documentaries that you kind of get sucked up into it. I, I, Aside from the news, I think that television at that time, I think of the word innocent because uh, the purpose for these shows, they made you feel pretty good. They had happy endings. It always turned out okay. And you could count on that in a lot of these series, whether they were uh, a sitcom or a drama like Bonanza mm-hmm. or a variety show like South Star, happy endings. And they ended uh, on an, an upbeat. Now, I do not know, you know, you're asking from a viewer's perspective. So, as far as what the networks wanted and what producers wanted, um, I, I don't know. But that's my recall of the purpose of TV then. And oh, you didn't you didn't think you the did. last episode of Ozark, one of your favorite shows, had a happy ending, tied it all together? <laughs> Sorry if you haven't watched season yeah. three of Ozark yet out there, but uh, don't expect everything to be wrapped up in a tight little bow at the end of that one, okay? No. Okay, so, and so John and I are sucked into... To, to programs like that too, and and that's what we do. That's what we do. Yep. It's a hot horse finding that I, kind of kind of series, right, John? Yes, I think the biggest difference is the networks owned us when we were growing up. You know, you had three choices. I had four. They mm-hmm. owned you. And that's Today, a good point. the networks are fighting to get a fraction of your attention. The traditional networks, excuse mm-hmm. me. Yeah. The old traditional networks that we grew up with. 
they're they're fighting like heck to just get a fraction of your yeah, time. Yeah, it's interesting. Whereas you have no place else to go. Yeah, look, that's a really good point. I, I of course I watch every show on ABC, every single one. Okay, now, (laughs) of course, obviously I do. But, I mean, really, I I cannot tell you a a series that I'm watching week to week anymore. I just, Uh, I, 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 that's not to say I don't watch network shows, but I I just, I I like that that on-demand ability to have five or six shows ready to go for me and not have to wait week to week with one particular show. It's really spoiled a lot of people with the binging. And what's interesting is, is that, you know, people knock out these shows in a weekend. And I think it, in a way it, it hurts the show because that year until it gets, the next season gets released, seems a whole lot longer when it's not spread out over 13, 14, 15 weeks. So at first we thought that, that Binging, House of Cards on Netflix was one of the first shows that just dropped 12 episodes of the season right there in your lap and you could have it. And people thought, yeah. this is the way it's going to be forever. This is the next thing. Now I'm not so sure because I think a lot of these streaming networks are starting to see the value of letting things breathe and release them again over the course of several weeks because it keeps them relevant longer. I'm seeing, I think we're, we're, there's going to be a few things that are always going to be dropped on you periodically and not all at once for that reason. That's my, that's my thinking anyway. Well, you know, there's, there's another thing too. I, I'm going back to when I grew up. I can remember growing up where I, I grew up in Detroit, so you're tied to the automobile industry. And people, you classified people by the type of car they owned. Oh, you're a Ford fan. Sure. Or you're a Chevy sure. family, or you're a Plymouth family. Well, you know what? People identified with networks. Oh, you watch CBS. Oh, you watch NBC. Oh, you watch ABC. Yeah. And you were an ABC family back then. Today, obviously, that is long gone. Yeah, it is. Are you prepared to share with us some of the programs that you remember from childhood? Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because we, we were, and I don't know how I relate to other people in my age my demographic but I, I fondly remember a lot of the older shows because dad and, and grandma and grandpa and then and pop-up were watching tv land nick at night actually was very big when i was growing up so i was introduced to bewitch my three sons i love lucy um and then later on in the evening it would play shows from the 70s that were huge hits all the norman lear shows uh, Good Times, All in the Family, Sanford and Son, which wasn't a Norman Lear show, but still um, that time period. So I remember those very fondly. And I also think, you know, it's an argument I've had with a lot of people about the state of sitcoms and where st- sitcoms are today versus where those sitcoms were. And there were real laughs, I felt like, in those sitcoms. Something was, it was a much more raw. Uh, it was crude, um, crude in design and also in content sometimes. Uh, cruder, I would say All in the Family's content is much cruder than you'd find in a lot of sitcoms today. And it just, the laughs were bigger. I think it was, it just played better to an audience. In sitcoms today, these canned laughs, and it's like it's telling me when to laugh. I don't find the humor in a lot of the sitcoms. Um, I Love Lucy, wow, there's some gags and some some oh. some really great Classic. i mean a murderer's row of writers must have worked on that show because there's there's content that lives today that, that stands up yeah. the test of time today some of it doesn't of course i mean we're talking you know it's 70 years ago but still so yeah i was gonna i was really gonna bring up a lot of those those older shows 
that that I, I remember fondly. And uh, I, I was going on a deep dive myself uh, on YouTube, and Johnny Carson interviews started popping up. And they had Desi, Desi Arnaz on in, like, the 70s, and somebody posted this thing. Desi Arnaz played Ricky on I Love Lucy, and he was also responsible for the three-camera setup that you know now sitcoms to have. The three He, he developed that. Um, no. But even then, he was speaking really highly of Lucy, and I know they didn't exactly have a great marriage and everything, but he gave her all the credit, which I thought was pretty classy. Um, and he said that, uh, you know, initially they didn't want – the networks did not want him – to be with Lucy in the program because he is is from Cuba. He's Cuban. And he yeah. told the networks, he said, listen, you know, the pilot was just a, a, a rock star pilot. You know, the first show they ever produced, it went over so well. And he told them that, uh, listen, it doesn't matter what you guys think. It matters what the audience thinks. This is in the early 50s he said that. He said, if they like it, the show's going to be a huge hit. And he was right. He fought for it, and he was he was smart to fight for it. He's a really important figure in comedy. A really important figure in television comedy. Desi Arnaz was. And Lucille, Lucille Ball was a powerhouse, too. But I'm just saying, his his importance in the history of, of the sitcom as we know it is, is really important. I know I kind of went on a tangent there. but And also, those interviews on Johnny Carson were interesting, too. Not, not just because these guys were kicking back smoking cigarettes, which is really strange to see. But it was yeah. really long yeah. form, and they let him talk, and not everything worked. You know, a lot of times they're jokes. They throw stuff out. The audience really wouldn't react to it, but they just kind of went with it. And it was this long form. They didn't have this desire to do something shocking or whatever else, and they just let him talk. Dick Cavett show was like that, too. I'm sure you watched a lot of Dick Cavett, uh, right? Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. He let him talk. He just he sit, sat down, and if it wasn't working, hey, whatever. We're throwing it out there. We're going to give it a shot. And that's not really done a whole lot today either. So, you know, your Nana and Pop Pop um, were late night TV watchers, and I think that that's what kept them informed in a lot of things. You know, as far they were very forward, they were very current, and I think a lot of it because they they watched like Carson, they watched these interviews, mm -hmm. and they knew what was going on as a result of it. I think. I mean, mm -hmm. I know that they did. That's an interesting point. I know Pop Pop watched Jay Leno all the time when we were growing up. All the time. Yeah, he didn't yeah. miss it. He didn't miss it. Okay. The other ones that you brought up, definitely, we watched too. I mean, I, I grew up on MASH, and I grew up on those other ones. I watched Mr. Ed. We we watched it. And Bonanza was a family thing. Like I said, we went next door to watch it in color, so that was a, that was just amazing. Yeah. Did you, did you ever still... watch Mr. Ed and snack on peanut butter at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> I never no, knew that trick, so I didn't know about during that. During Disney's wonderful world of color, I have to tell yeah. you, craft company, the craft company was a major sponsor, and they would have the best commercials. You did not want to leave the room for the commercials because they their commercials would show how to make like Rice Krispie treats or a chocolate marshmallow dessert, and and the the guy's voice who talked about. Here's what you do next. You melt the caramels and you put the popcorn. Mm -hmm. and, 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 it, and his voice sounded delicious. It was a delicious voice. And then he'd talk about these recipes. And at the end, the tagline was from the Kraft Candy Kitchen. They even had a jingle fresh yeah. from the Kraft Candy Kitchen. And it was so you stayed and watched the craft commercials during the wonderful world. of. There was really something about, the, about those commercials and the announcer guys back then. You know the way the way the way this announcer guys talk is is the Kraft macaroni and cheese commercial. 
They had like this same cadence, you know? Let's make something from crab today. Have yourself a lucky strike. I mean, it was really interesting. It's a very odd cadence. I, You know, when I first came down here to Tampa, Lindsay Logue was my uh, co-anchor, and we would have, in the makeup room, because, you know, it's we were anchoring the morning show on the weekend, so we would have on, you know, whatever station we put on, it was either infomercials or infomercials, but if you went to some of the substations that had play the old shows, you could just click on whatever, and the one that always played was the George Burns show, where he, I don't know if you ever watched that. Sure. George Burns and Gracie, and Gracie Allen, Allen. Yeah. and it was interesting. And I, I, he played, he played kind of the straight man. He led, he led Gracie Allen kind of have most of the good lines in that show. But it was kind of a precursor to Seinfeld because he would break the fourth wall a little bit, and he would do a stand-up routine at the beginning of the show, and then the, in the middle of the show, he would just stop, and he'd go out in front of the audience and start doing jokes. And I'm like, that's interesting. Yeah. That's kind of like the skeleton a little bit for Seinfeld. Like that's, I wonder if anyone's ever made that. If you watch, you know, go on YouTube and watch the George Burns show. There's, it was just interesting. Not that Seinfeld broke the fourth wall, but he did have the stand-up routine in the beginning, and at the end of the shows sometimes in the earlier seasons. And George Burns was doing that. He did that in his show in 1951. Sure, and he'd sit there with a cigar too and talk about. Absolutely, that. yeah. Well, that was a nice slice of Americana. I gotta say thank you very much to my mom, and my stepdad, John, for taking some time out of their night to join me here on Off The Set. Again, thank you for subscribing and downloading and giving me a shot each week. I'm gonna let this thing organically kind of evolve into something. I know one thing though, I'm having a lot of fun putting these together. I'm not making any money off of it. I'm doing it because I'm really enjoying it. So thank you, appreciate it. We're back with another episode next week. Every Friday I drop them. This has been Off The Set with me. James Tully.